0: Let's, do, let's go into the Word. Um, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to it. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord he will be like a bush in the wastelands he will not see prosperity when it comes he will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives but I always like a but in scripture it's always helpful but blessed is the man Who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. And never fails to bear fruit. As ever with the prophets, just taking three verses out of the middle is fraught with danger. Because one great Bible scholar said a passage of scripture can never mean what it never was meant to mean. See what I mean? So we've got to to get the context. We've got to see what it means. What does it mean to Jeremiah? Even if he didn't quite know, what does it mean to the people he's speaking to? And then there might be a deeper meaning for us, generations and generations on. But we've got to start. A piece of scripture, you start. What does it mean in the context? Jeremiah was a prophet to five kings. All of whom went, nah. All of whom went, Jeremiah's lost it. He's off his trolley. I'm sure there were particular Hebrew phrases for that, but... uh, They didn't treat him well. But he was a prophet of God. These five kings were the kings that brought right up to the Babylonian exile. That's how well it was going. They were in the promised land where God, this is where God was going to grow them. And, but by the end of these five kings, the people were in exile. And Jeremiah was still there. Still pursuing God. Still pursuing the message. Still bringing what the Lord was saying to him. What the people feared more than anything was exile. But they didn't fear it enough to do the things they needed to do to stop it. What they preferred was their comfort. Jeremiah watched the number of faithful people dwindle. The people who were listening to him dwindle. To the extent that the numbers who believed what he was saying were so small it wasn't enough to save the nation. I don't know what do we fear more than anything you grow up during wartime you fear war more than anything you go up if you grew up in some parts of Europe you'd fear inflation more than anything for our nation maybe it's fearing unemployment and the lack of being able to provide that's deep in our psyche because of the not just the recession do they moan at the moment about it? interest rates have gone up to 2.75%? <laughs> I remember when they were 17% and I was trying to get a mortgage. Come on. What do we fear? Losing our children. Not having children. Losing our life. Well, actually, hopefully, hopefully as Christians that's lower down the list. But for a long time, for me, the actual process of dying didn't look too appealing. And that fear was there. The people feared exile, but weren't willing, basically, to get off their spiritual backsides and do something about it. Well, with God's sovereign, if, if he didn't want to send them, he, he could have just been nice. To, God isn't nice in that way. God loves you. And he loves you so much, he disciplines you. And he loves you so much that sometimes we have to go through. Our sin isn't held against us, is it? Oh, isn't God nice? No. Our sin isn't held against us because Jesus died on a cross for us. Not nice. Our sin's not held against us because Jesus... Because the father made the son who had no sin to be. It's not nice, is it? It's loving. It's effective. But it's not nice. Oh, isn't God lovely? No. But he loves you. And he's awesome. And he's amazing. And he's creator. And he's the all. Come on, some of us have heard this phrase too many times. The Almighty must never become the Almighty. Yeah, He is your friend, but He is the Almighty. He's friends with us on His terms. Not because He's selfish or anything, but because He's God. You see, do you remember that? I don't know if you've seen... Um, I can't remember if it's Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit where Bilbo is still holding on to the ring and um, what's his name? Gandalf, who's lovely, who does fireworks for kids' parties and all that sort of stuff, turns and looks at him and just goes, Bilbo Baggins. And, and there's... That's the almighty reasserting. It's because that's the imagery. This is you know, Gandalf's the father in that sense, and yeah. And Bilbo comes with the ring and goes, and he's shaking. When's the last time we shook before God? Not because we've been blatted by the Spirit, but because we, we're coming in awe before Him. When was the last time we wept over our sin? Because we know how much it hurts him. Not because we fear punishment, but because actually we don't want to hurt the one we love and the one who loves us. I'm still on context, aren't I? (laughs) Jeremiah lived what he wrote and wrote what he lived. You want authenticity? Read Jeremiah. Yes, I know it's the longest book in the Bible, but it's worth it. He was faithful to the people as they ignored him. He was faithful to the Lord's voice as the people ignored him. He stayed with the people as the people ignored him. Guess what he ends up doing? He, his message and his job is to stop them going into exile. What does he end up doing? Going into exile. Because he stays with the people. He doesn't turn around and go, Well, stuff you lot. I've had enough. I'm off. He stays. He sticks it out. He prays. He preaches. He prophesies. Sound familiar? Oh, and he suffers, and he's ridiculed, and he's physically abused. I had to write an essay once on Jeremiah. <laughs> How can Jeremiah be considered a successful prophet? was the title of the essay. Because he has a message which nobody listens to, nobody acts on, and it doesn't come to pass. But how many chapters of the Bible has he got? Oh, by the way, you know that verse we like to um, quote a lot? For God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Right in the middle of Jeremiah. In the middle of a prophet's life where the people are going, nah. Look, you know, the people are not, are not they're not being horrible it's the authorities that are being horrible the people are just being apathetic have we got those other Jeremiah verses Paul that would be great 2.13 if you've got them all on one that's fine But if if you haven't, that's also fine. (laughs) My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Let's just hold that one for the moment. This is the curse to they who trust in their own strength or trust in man. They've forsaken me. The spring of living water. God is the spring of living water. But the, the people have dug their own cisterns. Actually, the, what the king has done is dug... You do you know what a cistern is. It's not just the thing that the toilet flushes out of. It's a proper use of the word cistern. It, it's a large tank that is a reservoir of water. Now, for us, we have so much water falling out of the sky, it's not such a problem. Though we did have hosepipe bands this, this year... That took me back a while. I remember hose bike bands a long time ago. But in Israel, there's not a lot of water. And the king dug a well and put a cistern there. Two things. You'll find this in in one of the books of the Bible. The king was a plonker. Maybe you won't find that in the Bible. He dug in the wrong place. He listened to the experts and he dug in the wrong place. And then the system that he built wasn't good enough and it broke. Hmm. The human plans for our nation, the human plans for our national church, the human plans for our church or the plans that people would have us use, are digging in the wrong place and building something that's not good enough. They've, and why have they dug in the wrong place and not built something worthwhile? They have forsaken me. They're more bothered about their comfort than they are about doing it right. And actually, the city needs... A cisterns. Because it needs water. And basically when you run out of water... You go to the cistern to fill up your pots. So it's the place you go to to get the water. And the king's got it wrong. Come on, the next one. And I said, Sovereign Lord, the prophets keep telling them... You will not see the sword or suffer famine. Indeed, I will give you least lasting peace in this place... That's the other problem. Jeremiah isn't the only religious voice around. There are other prophets, so called, who are going, I know it looks like war, but there's going to be peace. I know it looks like drought, but there will be rain. They don't do the negative. Sometimes I argue with God. (laughs) I wouldn't. It doesn't work. I always lose. But I argue with him and say, Lord, why have you given me a ministry that calls out the negative? Enough. And he says, do what I ask you. Sorry, guys. You'll not see the sword. Yes, you will. You won't suffer famine. Yes, you will. There will be lasting peace in this place. Well, do you know what? All these things are true, ultimately. And Jeremiah's going, Oi, if you don't get your house in order, you're going to see the sword. There will be famine and we'll be out of here. And they're going, peace, peace. And they're probably just dressed well and sound educated and come across... And Jeremiah's the rough diamond. You know. He's the guy who would come in here and our first reaction would be to push him out because he doesn't fit. Well, and he's the one bringing the word of the Lord. Yeah, I'm glad John the Baptist never turns up because the church would never cope with John the Baptist. You know. He'd stink. All those locusts, I can't imagine what he's done. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Next one, Paul. I'm looking at that going, oh, we've got one and six, haven't we? That's all right. So, Shephatiah son of Mattan, Gedaliah son of Pasha, Jehakol son of Shelemiah, and Pasha son of Malkiyar. No idea if I've got those right. You just say them confidently and quickly, and everybody's fine. Heard what Jeremiah was telling all the people. Hang on. They didn't hear Jeremiah. They heard reported what Jeremiah was saying. So there's a possibility they didn't actually hear what Jeremiah was saying. They heard what somebody else thought Jeremiah was saying. Verse 6. So they took Jeremiah and put him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, Duh. only mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Jeremiah gets thrown into a cistern, and there's no water in there, only mud, so what can't he do while he's there? Drink. (laughs) How long is he going to survive in there? Not that long, three days is it? But actually, the weird thing here is the, authority are, are, the authorities are oppressing him and persecuting him and throwing him into this system, But actually, this act illustrates the prophetic. I can mean, imagine Jeremiah landing and going, See? This is what I've been saying. Your systems are empty. They're broken. There's now but mud in them. Look, I'm up to me knees. When, I, when you go into mud like that, the thing that gets me is, oh, I'm always wondering what's in the mud. You know, it's like, oh. If, it, if you could tell me it was just mud and then there was nothing untoward in there, I'd be fine. But, you know. Jeremiah sits in a broken tank and it's, the guy's a lunatic. By every worldly measure, he's, he's just not, he's not the round shilling. He really isn't. And he doesn't scream and shout when he gets thrown in. He, he sits there. They can't get out because they need somebody to bring him out. Now, he does get brought out again, and he ends up going um, in, to exile with them. But here's that act. He's thrown into a broken system, and it's dried up. These systems are supposed to be the reservoirs, where to go when running dry. But they're badly built, badly placed, and there's disaster. There is always disaster when you rely on your own thinking. David thought to himself. We know that one. David inquired of the Lord. Oh, victory. David thought to himself. Oh, heck. Defeat. Oh, and just by the way, for a bit of extra context. Politically, who are are Israel supposed to rely on for their protection? Obvious answer. Yes, God. So the king here, right at the end, has set up agreements with both Egypt and Babylon that they will be their, their protectors. He's made a public statement that they will be their protectors. The whole point of the nation of Israel was that they stood apart from all the other nations and said, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is Lord. Yahweh is our protector. Yahweh is our provider. Yahweh is everything to us, apart from when we need protection militarily. So we'll just ask the Egyptians and the Babylonians. The Egyptians and the Babylonians, those guys that had you in bondage, Those guys that don't get a good press in the Old Testament, ever. And Israel rather relying on them. Hmm. So, back to 17 if we can, Paul. Well, no, not if we can. (laughs) Lovely. The outcome of relying on one's own understanding or relying on man, is disaster. If we put our trust, and that's the key word in there, cursed is the one who trusts in man. That doesn't mean we don't look at the things that people say. It doesn't mean we don't look at the, the psychology of counseling. It doesn't mean we don't look at all these other things. But we put our trust in the Lord. It's when we put our trust... Trust is more than belief, of course. I won't do it. I won't do it. I don't think I can catch any of you. But you do know the other thing? Have you seen it done? where you get somebody to stand on, a, on there? Do you believe I would catch you if you jumped? Yes. Well, it's only trust, or faith when you jump. A lot of people at that point go, well, I believe you would, but I'm not going to. Well, it's not trust then, is it? It's a lot of that about. Well, we like you, but we're not sure we trust you. And if we're saying that about each other, what about God? Do we trust him? So, eventually, what happens if we trust in man, our fleshly strength comes to the fore and our heart turns away from the Lord. I'm assuming nobody here wants to be in that position. (laughs) I'm assuming we want our hearts to be set on the Lord so that we don't go into fleshly stuff, so we trust in Him and not in. It's going to hurt. It's going to go against the grain. It's going to be a struggle and look at the bush apparently this the word here for bush i'm not a gardener but it says in my commentaries and it says in three different commentaries so i'm assuming it's right that this is a dwarf juniper do anybody know what that is yeah apparently it's a really straggly plant it doesn't look like it's alive and in fact It's got a little bit of greenery on it and a little bit of budding on it, but it survives in the most arid conditions. But when the rains come, it doesn't change. It stays exactly as it is. It hasn't got an alternative state. It it only stays horrible-looking, basically. (laughs) Tatty. It looks tatty all the time. Thank you. There we go. Nice to have a guard person in the, in the room. Uh, but it, it, yeah, it looks scratty. It looks as if it's dying all the time. Whether it's in the um, desert or whether it's actually in a place where there's plenty of water. It, it doesn't change. So the one who trusts, trusts in his own strength will be like a juniper bush in the wastelands and will not see prosperity when it comes. So the Lord will want to bless and want to give then we don't get it, because we've gone into survival mode. Basically, the dwarf juniper is the, the best surviving plant. It'll survive virtually anywhere. But the Lord doesn't want us to survive. He wants us to live. That's the point. He wants us to live. And do you know he wants us to live at the times when it looks the most hardest to live? So to when it 's recession, we give the most. you know it 's hard it 's so counterintuitive it's like where well, it 's not just that we missed out in, on prosperity the 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 uh, warning here is that we will dwell. Or we will look as if we dwell in the parched places permanently. Uh, And and we don't. But we look like we do. I don't want to live in the parched place. And I don't even want to look like I live in the parched place. I want to live in the abundant place and look like it. You know. So when we haven't got any money, that's the time to put the twenty quid on the plate this morning for, you know, um, mission partners wherever we are. Kingdom partners, you, you know what I mean. It's, we, we just got to go against the prevailing wisdom. Is this a good time to be doing a million-pound building project? No. Well, let's get on with it then. Is it a good time to reach out and see people come to faith? No. Well, let's get on with it then. Is, do you feel like God's going to heal? Anybody struggling physically over the last few weeks and months? Come on. Come on. Becky, you're the only one with Oh, Alison. No, but you're struggling with those who are struggling. As a family, you're struggling. So, is God going to heal? Doesn't feel like it, does it? Really doesn't feel like it. But yes, He will. We only need His healing when we need His healing. When we're well, we don't need His healing. The Lord said about the building project, You will be vindicated. Friend of mine said, Bless him. He said, Well the problem with being vindicated is it's all got to go wrong first. (laughs) Thanks, Tim, I love you too. (laughs) But he's right. And it does feel like it's all gone wrong. And he's quite excited. Because he's saying, I can't wait to see the vindicate being vindicated. I go, well, can you ask the Lord to hurry up? It's costing us more money. He said, Well, that's the point. What are you willing to give to it that looks like it's a waste? Oh, shut up. The prophet's job is to point out the dried upness and the roots of the dried upness. This is what Jeremiah is doing in this verse. He's showing them what's wrong, and it's difficult. And it's even more difficult when we think the parched land is normal. Because the prophet's job is, and we're, the prophetic, we're a prophetic people, our job is not just to say, if you stay there, it'll be a problem, but actually to turn around and say, the land is wrong. People don't like being told that. What's happening here is wrong. What is happening here doesn't help you. What is happening here actually drains you. What is happening here is religion. What is happening here is self-focus. What is happening... None of it helps. Oh, what do you know about religion? I'll take you to a meeting at the diocese sometimes. Plenty. But the problem, the real... Do you know the problem? We, We have a problem with the religion over us because of the diocese. We have a problem because of the Church of England, England churchianity and all that stuff. But the main problem is the stuffing religion we can't see in ourselves. You can see the religion in a bishop and an archdeacon and all that stuff. You can see it. Pray for them because some of them don't want it. They're lovers of Jesus and they don't want it. But it comes on to them. As soon as you take the role of church warden, I apologise to the people in the room, it comes on you. And you have to, I've, been fighting, I've been fighting religion consciously for 15 years because I've realised ever since I got ordained, it, there's been dollop and dollop and dollop and dollop of it on me. And a lot of it is other people's expectations of what I should be and that's just religion coming at me. A bishop once said to me, a high church bishop, probably one of the most religious people that we would look at and go, oh, he's really religious. The fact, actually, his fam- family are a big part of the church, the church army and the whole high church evangelism thing, got nothing to do with it. Tim came to me, and I had a problem with someone, and I just couldn't get through to this person, and he just said this to me. He said, The problem is, you, can, you can't be the vicar she wants you to be. You can only be the vicar Jesus has made you to be. Because I couldn't communicate to this person. And the only way I would have been able to communicate is if I had stopped being me. So I resolved then. When was that? Oh, flip. Seven, 15 years ago. Maybe more. Maybe nearly 20 years ago. I resolved that day to be me. This is all pre-Jesus ministry and living in freedom and all that stuff. But I resolved that day to be me because a high church bishop told me the truth. The other side of his family make chocolates and toffees. His surname's Thornton. That's the family. That's the family behind the church army. That's the money, originally, that went into the church army. Did you know that? He worked for somebody who worked for the church army. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, did you know about the Thornton family thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because you work somewhere, doesn't. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So he was my bishop in um, Sherborne, in Dorset. Oh, but there you go. Ah. We've forgotten how to do abundance, though that is our design. What it is is an orphan and poverty spirit. We don't expect anything. And when we do get it, we don't get much. You know, the st- I've told the story several times now on Living in Freedom about the orphans with Heidi Baker and either stealing the Coca-Cola or not taking any of it. Well, one, you don't need to steal it from God. Two, you don't need to not take it from me. You just go, go to the fridge. It's there. The, the abundance is there. And our expectation when we've seen a number of really good things, haven't we? We've seen little bits of breakthrough, and we've seen a few people come to faith, and it's been wonderful. It's a flipping dribble compared to the onrush that the Lord wants to give us. But we go, yeah, isn't that good? Isn't that great? Now we don't have to do anything more. let good. go can sit down. No. Now we get the dribble. Let's, come, on, let's, come on, now's the time to go. Oh, the problem with you prophets is never good enough, is it? No, I'm not, no, I'm not saying that. Verse 7 and 8. Next, there you go. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. The trust, the stepping into the right place, the with-faithness. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. There's always water. You don't need a flipping cistern. There's always water. It's well rooted. There's green leaves. There's no worries. There's no fear. Not even when there's drought, there will still be life. Life may be difficult at the moment. Life may be hard financially, emotionally, relationally, whatever it is. But there will still be life. And that's a promise. And don't take my word for it, take the words for it. Are you planted by living water? Actually, Laurie, wrong question. Do you know that verse? So it's not, are we planted by living water? It's do we recognise living water? is planted in us. There's the New Testament flip. Oh, I've got to change it. I've got it. To... No. Recognise the waters near you. In you. Guard your heart. For, for it, your heart, is the wellspring of life. Where does the Spirit dwell? In your heart, in your core. And if the spirit is in your core, you can be courageous. That's where we get the word courageous from. It's from the French word cour, which means heart. Courageous. We're heart filled. Actually, we're heart filled because our hearts are full. I'm full of the Lord. You're born again? Yeah? You're full of the Lord. Oh, but I need more. No, you don't. You just need to experience more. As we go into worship, we're back into worship. Maybe you've never come out. That's fine. (laughs) Just ask the Lord to show you what it means to have the wellspring of life in you. I'm not even going to suggest you break through Into this for shoulders or hips or whatever it is. I'm not asking that you break through for breakthrough for somebody else. Just at the moment, be in that place. Lord, show me, show me what it means to have the wellspring of life in me. And then get ready to get wet. Do you know what I mean by that? Get ready to get wet. Let that well. I think so many of us were so worried about life and how we're going to get through, and how we, we put the lid down on that wellspring, and we wrestle with God. Jacob wrestled with God, and God needed to dislocate his hip to get him to listen. Now I don't think. Please pray for your leaders at the moment. I think nearly everybody is is suffering with something physically quite bad or at least it feels quite bad all of us if the Lord's dislocating our hip so that we get it right bring it on but if the enemy is trying to break us and is trying to stop us and move us away I don't want it And I'd rather come to a place of repentance before he dislocates my hip. (laughs) It's always better. Ask the Lord to show you where, what what that image is like in you. and And ask the Lord just to help you take your hand off it. Help you let it release in you. And release the joy. Release the tears. Release the. release the whatever it is the patience Lord I want to thank you that heaven is present now in your presence in each one of us the wellspring is bubbling in us Oh, Lord, we want to see salvation. We want to see healing. We want to see provision. We want to see breakthrough. But Lord, first, show us, I ask, the reality of that spring. Hmm. The Lord's saying, the Lord's saying, You may be in the presence of the king, but you don't have to stand to attention. Just let it go. Just let the whole thing release. Before Chris came tonight, his grandson was asleep in his arms. And Chris said to me just now, I hope you're all right with this Chris. Chris said to me just now do you know that was as much for me as it was for Zeke when we lie in the Father's arms we minister to him and he gets joy from that as much as it's a good thing for us come Holy Spirit show us now show us Lord